Times Like Now is an interview program, interviews with interesting people that are doing cool stuff. I'm Trevor Collins. Seattle in the early 1990s was the center of everything cool, the hub of music, fashion, art, and culture. My guest, Karen Mason Blair, she witnessed the scene from behind the lens of her camera as the photographer on this episode of Times Like Now. Hi there, Karen. Thank you so much for your time and for joining me on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. So um, let's jump right into your years in, uh, in well, there once was a, a big town called Seattle, Washington, and uh, you were right there with a camera in your hand when, um, let's say, a pop culture explosion happened right there, at, and you were at the, at the ground zero of it, and you just happened to have a camera in your hand. So what we're talking about is what they called the, the Seattle music sound, the scene, the grunge of the late 80s. How did you get involved and where were you at that time and that place? Yeah, well, I still consider myself a fangirl with a camera. Like, I always follow the music. Like, when I, when I hear a song or a band, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love them and I want to take their pictures. And so, um, yeah, it was like the, you know early nineties and, and all these bands were playing, like, can you, can you imagine driving down the street to your local bar <laughs> and you drive in and you park and you're like, Oh, there's Nirvana. And then the next week you drive to this bar or this, you know, club. And the next week it's Alice in Chains. And then the next week it's Soundgarden. And then one week I'm standing next to Alice in Chains in the crowd. And the next week Alice in Chains is on, Alice in Chains is on stage and now I'm standing next to Soundgarden. And that's why, I mean, the whole grunge movement to me is, is really love and support. That we were all loving each other and supporting each other. And I, I like to say that the grunge movement really was like three to 500 people. I mean, it wasn't that big. But what's mind-blowing is you can have 300 people on any project today, but the depth of talent that was in that 300 people, that's what changed the world. We're talking the Dave Grohl's, we're talking the Kurt Cobain's, we're talking the Eddie Vedder's, the Chris Cornell's, you know, and then I'm I'm there taking their pictures. And it's just insane. And then we go to this one guy, he does the t-shirts and we go to this one, you know, this person, oh, she books the bands. Oh, she manages the bands. Oh, he makes the posters. Oh, Karen takes the pictures. And it's literally that kind of uh, familia. And I, and I, and still to this day, I say that, they were my Seattle music family, my familia. And, um, <laughs> and we all remember those 300 people. Yeah. Sure. And I was uh, in Portland at the time where I'm from and was in those early 90 years, I was working in radio and was coming out up to Seattle to see shows uh, uh, granted, a lot of what I was doing was in Portland, and but a lot of these bands were coming down to Portland because at the time there was more there was more clubs in Portland to play at than there were in Seattle at the time down that I five corridor. So I I saw a lot of those shows in Portland, but the like you said, the depth of talent that was coming out of there was like someone turned on the tap and it just it just flooded the world eventually. But yes, you said uh, a very organic, uh, small scene that grew kind of gradually 
um, over time. I remember going up in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And um, when did you pick up a camera? How did you get into photography before this time? Where did you go to school? Yeah, so really, um, I was managing a band in high school, <laughs> if you can believe it. And they needed photos. And so I started calling all these photographers to take their photo. And it was so expensive. And I said, you know what, guys, I'm just going to buy a camera. I'm like, I'm for that amount of money, I'm going to buy a camera and take your pictures. And they said, okay. And, uh, you know, I was in the yearbook class and I love photography. And I was like, why not? So I bought a camera. I took these pictures and they're like, these are amazing. And I'm like, oh, you're just saying that because they're almost free. And they're like, no, these are really good. And so I started to look around. And I was like, well, maybe I'm on to something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I took my first roll of black and white film in the yearbook class in high school and uh, in Edmonds, Washington. And uh, I just, I, and then I ended up going to uh, Seattle Central Community College and got my commercial photography degree. And upon getting my degree, I loaded up a moving truck and I moved to Hollywood, California. <laughs> and I got a studio in Hollywood and I started taking these pictures. And um, I did the pictures for Faith No More's album, The Real Thing, if you can believe it. And I said, oh, I can't take pictures until I hear the music. And they said, well, great. Faith No More is um, recording this new album. So drive, drive down the street. So I went to the studio and I hung out with Faith No More for three days. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and, then I, and then I did their photos. I did their promo photos, you know, for the album, The Real Thing. I do know that album. I do know those photos. Uh, absolutely. I was a, a big fan of that and, and, uh, and of course, all the Seattle bands as well, which brings me back to Seattle. So when did you come back? Yeah. And so why? it was, I only stayed in Hollywood for like a year, almost a full year. And uh, I just couldn't really dig on the Hollywood thing because I would show up and there'd be like literally 20 photographers in the pit. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And then these people never move. They like just, you know, they just like, oh, I'm going to stand here at the entire concert. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I won't even be able to sell a single photo because I'm not, because I, I can't get the image. And so, um, I mean, luckily for me, like, I mean, I went to this uh, Megadeth concert <laughs> in uh, Long Beach and I'm like, what is going on? And these people, oh my God. Well, I'm first off, I'm the only woman in the pit, just so you know. Okay. And then I'm like, what the fuck? Like, they're not going to move. And I'm like, okay, well, you're just going to, you know, post up and, and be, be that guy. So I was like, whatever. So um, here comes Dave Mustaine comes out and, <laughs> and Dave Mustaine and I are friends, right? Cause I was all friends with Metallica. And so Dave Mustaine sees me and I am, I am, I am so far. <laughs> I am, I am like 20 people over from Dave Mustaine and he sees me. So he comes walking over and he stands right in front of me and just plays his guitar thank God. And so I get these great photos. And then by the time these other people try to come over, he's like, no, nope, that was for Karen. And he, and he, and he moves to back to center stage. And I was like, you know what? I, I can't do this. Like not every, not everybody <laughs> knows Karen and loves me and whatever. Like this isn't going to work. 
so then I moved back to uh, moved back to Seattle, which was crazy. So now I'm back in Seattle. Approximately what year was that? Yeah, so I'm back in Seattle, and this is like, uh, let me think. Hold on, this like eighty. Mm, hold on, eighty nine. Well, after so yeah, would have been eighty nine or ninety after. Because I only lived there for one year. So I moved down like in 88. Guns N' Roses is blowing up. I did all the hair bands, great white, all that. So then I come back and then, and then um, here, and then all of a sudden, Karen, we just got signed to our photos. Karen, we just got signed to our photos. And so I was already friends with everybody. And then they all get signed and then they all want me to do their photos. And then the great, the crazy thing is, is because I was in LA for a year that I had all these LA connections. And then so Rolling Stones, like you're the only photographer we know in, in Seattle. Oh, people magazine. You're the only photographer we know. Cause I met them in LA. And so then that was like very advantageous. And it was just seemed to be like the right place, the right time. And I mean, Jerry Cantrell from Allison Chains used to sleep on my couch. You know, I mean, we were all friends. And then so, and, and what was really crazy is like in the eighties, the bands, oh, we're going to do our hair. We're going to put makeup on, you know, and in the nineties, they were just all like, Hey, I hate photos. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know you guys hate photos, but you don't hate me. <laughs> and so that's why I got the most, you know, gorgeous photos of these most beautiful people and, and, um, and they hated photos, but we all got along. And so in my photos, you see them smiling or being more authentic because I knew them before I took their photos. And then when I took their photos, I was like, what? Come on. Come on, Kurt. You can smile. <laughs> and Kurt smiles. Now, one of the the stories from that time in that place that was my first, my first Seattle band that I heard and got into was... Uh, still in high school, I was still in high school, was Mother Love Bone. Oh. Did you know Andrew? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Andrew Wood um, of Mother Love Bone, which then became Pearl Jam. Everybody knows that. But did you know Andy well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was <laughs> He was a dear friend of mine. And um, <sighs> the thing about Andrew is he was so charismatic. I mean, the guy, like... This guy would walk in the room and, and the energy and the brightness and, and the joy in the room would just elevate. Like, like it was so beautiful to be around, be around Andrew. And, and then when Mother Lovebone played, oh my gosh, like you would just leave feeling so the vibrations of goodness. I mean, like when he says he's the love child, he, he literally was. I mean, like I can't. I can't even really describe it, but, um, you know, and, uh, I mean, my gosh, we had so, we had so many high hopes for mother love bone. And I mean, I, I mean, seriously, that album is still <laughs> one of my favorites, but I mean, maybe, you know, I mean, obviously with his, uh, passing, it, it didn't take off as, as, as much as it could have, but, um, yeah. And I did, I did their photos three weeks before he passed and, um, and he loved the session and uh, he had left a, a cassette tape that he had made, you know, he had made a mixtape and he had left it at my space. And so I was trying to get it back to him and he didn't return my calls. And I thought something's mm. not right here. Mm-mm, no, and, but he had seen the photos and he loved them and he told me that. And then that's the thing. It's like, um, 
uh, when people come off, because he had he had just gotten clean. Well, not just, but he had been clean for a minute. And um, and then when they go back to do it, they do it at the same strength. And then right. that's too right. much because he hadn't had any. Right. The the yeah. Tragic. Did you do um, a lot of cover photos for some of those albums of not just that band, but other bands? Did you do cover photos or just press photos? Oh, I did everything. Like I have pictures on Screaming Trees. I have pictures. I did the uh, Sub Pop single of the month for Soundgarden. You know, I have pictures on an Utero. Um, I have, uh, yeah, I, I did. A, so, yeah, so you never know. Like I would do, I would do a lot of promo pictures. Like I did Allison Chain's pictures for Rolling Stone new faces like the first time you're ever in rolling stone you start at new faces and i did blind melon for new faces and i did president of the united states for new faces and it's like um you know um and then that picture of alice in chains in the elevator that's the most viral photo of them i mean it's like i mean i can just tell you they're standing in the service elevator with their doc martens on and their crazy ass disheveled hair <laughs> smelling like patchouli you have seen this photo <laughs> i was working at kgon in portland oregon when aic was on tour when they came through portland and they came into the station and i got to see them there and had passes for the show that night with my station manager and i well we dallied around and we didn't make it to the first band and we didn't make it to the second band. We went to see AIC <laughs> and long story short, I just found out not too long ago because I saw a poster online that Mookie Blaylock, which then became Pearl Jam opened that show that night. And I was this close. I was sitting out in the parking lot waiting for AIC to come on because we didn't know who was opening that show. I didn't even see a poster. If I had seen a poster and it had, if I had seen it, it would have said, you know, it said formerly mother love bone. Well, then I would have been right there front and center, but I didn't even know who was opening. It's one of those things I wish I didn't know. Yeah. Well, and don't you know, um, uh, that's fascinating because I went to the Pearl Jam's first concert and they were, yeah, like you said, they were called Mookie Blaylock. And Jeff Amit called me three days before. And he's like, Karen, I got a new band. Can you know, come on out? And so, um, so then I called a couple of my other friends because you have to remember this is the nineties. We don't, we don't have the internet. <laughs> we don't have right. email. Like we don't even have cell phones. Right. I mean, like when someone calls me, it goes to my office and I have to check my answering machine, you know? So it's crazy. So there you have it. I agree with you. And, and I was, and I have the only photos from Pearl Jam's first concert which I didn't, I didn't know that until 20 years later. Like I knew no, that I was shot uh, their the first concert. off ramp in Correct. 1990. Yep. Yep. So did you go on tour with any of these bands or did you hang out just in Seattle? Yeah, I did not go on tour with the bands. I mean, once, um, the, the crazy thing is, is, you know, it's called the music business because it's the business. So once these bands started getting signed, then they're like, oh, we're, you know, we're represented in L.A. Or, or, or New York or wherever. And so, I mean, I continue to do some of that. But my career kind of took off anyways. Like I did Radiohead. Um, I was the second, for, uh, you know, I did their second photo session ever taken of Radiohead. 
And those photos are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and is for the creep, you know, the Pablo Honey thing. And the minute I heard creep on the radio, I was like, I am shooting this band. And they played rock candy. And I went down, I took these photos. And then I went on to do, you know, I mean, I shot the Ramones. I did, um, you know, Duran Duran, Soul Asylum, Tori Amos, you know, Billy Idol. So, I mean, I kind of went on my own way. And then... um, yeah, so I, I so that I kind of miss my friends, obviously, you know, for a minute. Sure. Now, lock, not too long ago, uh, I think we discussed it was nineteen or uh, twenty nineteen. You released a book. Was this your first book? Um, the flannel years. Was this your first collected photography book? Absolutely. Yeah, and I self published it. So it's the flannel years, a photographic tour by Karen Mason Blair. And then the foreword is by Chris Novoselic from uh, Nirvana. And he was like one of my really best friends. And so a lot of the photos in the book were previously unreleased, like you've never seen the photos before. And um, um, yeah, so I just self-published it. I don't know. And um, and I've sold, a, I've sold a lot of books, which I'm super happy about. And there's a hundred- oh, It's a beautiful photos. collection. Oh, thank you. And on the back, there's a picture of me and Kurt Cobain. Like, as rare as it is to have a photo of Kurt Cobain, it's even more rare to be in one. And that's the, the back cover right there. But, um, yeah, so it's it's super fun. It, you know, it's, it's a very quick read. A couple sentences on each of, you know, each of the photos. Um, but I just wanted... And I just wanted people to feel, feel what I felt. And it, it, the book is for the fans. You know, I mean, I am so sad when someone said I didn't ever hear Kurt sing, or I didn't hear Andrew sing or, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I feel bad, you know? So, so I'm like, well, I'm going to make a book and, and say from my point of view, you know, well, they say a, a, a picture is worth a thousand words. And I think you've got a lot of words there in those 150 photographs. Uh, you captured a moment in time, a moment in space and a cultural phenomenon, which kind of brings me to that that question. What did you think of Seattle's success when Seattle became the Mecca, the 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 ground zero, you know, what did you, what did you think of all that when that happened to your little town? Well, it was absolutely mind blowing and, and none of us saw it coming, but what I will tell you, what we did know is we love the music. Absolutely. I mean, I love Alice in Chains. I love Soundgarden. I love Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Mother Love Bone and Screaming Trees and My Sister's Machine and Grunt Truck and, and all of them. And, and, but what we had no idea, this is what blows my mind. We had no idea that the world was going to love this music. But I do know that when the minute I heard these songs, I was like, I love that song. I love that band. And so we just kept coming back out. I mean, we were going to support you guys, you know, support them anyways, because we needed live music in Seattle. I mean, you brought up that great point is that, you know, I, I, I drove down for um, when, when Ben for Soundgarden, when Ben joined the band, I drove down to um, Portland to do their pictures. The first session of Soundgarden was at the, you know, Melody Ballroom. Okay. And so, you know, I would drive to Portland all the time, you know. And so when when the whole world said, wait a minute, we love this music. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, 
they had written it for us, you know, because we couldn't get any live music in Seattle, you know. So right. the bands wouldn't stop here. They would go from L.A. to New York and they wouldn't stop in Seattle because it wasn't worth their time. So we couldn't get live music for a very long time. And you can pin a lot of this success, obviously, on the label, on Sub Pop and their expansion and the work that they did by exposing these bands to the European market and then through the Deep Six CD uh, cassette that was out. I remember that. Um, I think that's what we determined, that is me and and my group of friends back in those days, that we were in Portland. Well, Portland's going to be next. Portland's right down the road. There, It has to be next. And you know, Portland got some some teases, but never got the kind of attention because they didn't have the label. And Seattle was sub pop was Seattle. Seattle was sub pop, and they didn't go outside of Seattle. But Portland had such depth of talent that Seattle did too. Portland just didn't have the marketing machine to push them until years later. But at that time, it was all focused up north well, here. Yeah. And, uh, and I think Tim Kerr added a lot. I love, I mean, like I did, I did, um, well, I did all sorts of Portland bands. I did Everclear. I mean, I, they're in my book only because I, I love them so much. But, um, but the thing is, is that, and then uh, what love on ice, you know, and it's yep. like, they opened uh, that show for Alice in Chains and oh, Mookie there you go. they were, yes. they were, and I was a fan of them. I used to see them all the time. I said all I freaking one of my love them. I did all their photos. I mean, seriously. And then I got to think of. I did a ton of Portland bands, and yeah, um, I don't. Sweaty I don't nipples. Know. Sweaty um, nipples. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hazel and uh, Dharma bums, and on and on and on and on. So much great music out of that time and space. Yeah, yeah. but that's what you know. That's the phenomenon to me because let let's just say I'm going to go back to my thing. It's called the music business. I have seen great bands not go not go places because they had bad business, not because of bad music or bad bands. It's because of bad business. So there's all sorts of things to be said about that. You know, what was that promoter's name from? Um, he was everywhere from Portland, and he'd come up here and do shows all the time. That huge, um, oh, um, that promoter. What was his? Oh gosh, not really. Oh, okay, not, I'm drawing I, a blank. I'm going to think about it. But that guy, he'd come up here and do shows all the time, and he was very, very, very successful. And then I don't, I don't know what happened to him. But, but yeah, I agree with you. Like you never, yeah, we'll never know why or why not. I mean, like. And that's why when people go, oh, did you see the grunge movement coming? And we're like, no, we were caught in a flood. <laughs> we didn't see sure. it coming, but we went with the flow, like fast and hard, like whoosh, just ride this. I mean, it was insanity. I never sat down for 10 years. I mean, I went out every night, which is why I'm when so a scene becomes, And when a scene becomes labeled, once they put a name on it and becomes labeled, that's kind of the beginning of the end in a lot of ways. Once the whole world gets a piece of it, then it's it starts to uh, artificially inflate it. Well, it's going to blow up and then deflate, you know. And Seattle had a long, a good run, obviously. And then it, then they moved on to another city. All the labels moved on to, I don't know, wherever they went next for the next scene. Yeah, It well, wasn't Portland, I, that's for sure. Yeah, but what's weird about that is that all the bands went on tour, right? 
so we didn't so we missed everybody for a long time because they were all in different cities and and countries and all that but but what's crazy is like you have to remember this is the 90s right and so we have sir mix a lot singing i got big butts and i cannot lie and he's winning a grammy and then we have queensrike winning a grammy for silent lucidity right and then and then we have oh let's sign the president's united states of america not grunge either None of those three bands are grunge and then and then we have Candlebox blowing up and you're just like what is going on so even that our even that we uh, the trajectory sent all those grunge bands into their you know stratosphere right we still had all this great music coming out of Seattle at the exact same time and we had metal church i mean like you were just like bonkers you're just like what is all this great music and any of those bands i just said i mean they're all great and none of them are grunge right metal church yeah there's one i haven't heard in a long time um yeah we used to joke that there must be something in the water or in the beer there's something in the beer up there <laughs> that uh seems to turn uh, out talent or well let's all give a nod to Jimi hendrix man <laughs> i mean that guy right that guy right. set us set us right you know and i've I been doing photos kind of planted the seed so to speak and and uh launched a thousand right there well and and his music's in our his music's in our trees and in our water and in our yeah in our clouds and everything and you know i just got done uh doing photos for aaron jones who's blowing up the charts right now and and I mean, he, I mean, you should never say he's the next Jimi Hendrix because that's an unbearable burden. But this guy is that great on guitar. And he is, his, you know, he's opening for Rolling Stones next week. I mean, nuts. So there you have it. And he even says he grew up in the same neighborhood of Jim, as Jimmy. And he said, you know, Jimmy, you know, influenced him and gave him these songs, you know. So there you have it. I mean, Jimi Hendrix. I mean, can we imagine if he would have hung around a little longer, you know, what Seattle would have given you? Yeah. Right. Karen, thank you so much for being with me. Tell me a little bit about what you're working on now. Yeah, well, I got this Gibson thing coming out. It, 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 uh, Gibson video. Um, I have my own episode, at Gibson guitar, and it will come out in January. And then I'm just gonna, you know, ride the holidays and you know sell some books. And I got some new. Um, believe me, I got a lot of unreleased photos coming. So follow me on whatever media you love. I mean, whether it's you know Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and then. I'm releasing some NFTs. It's a new thing and I'm just getting into it, but they're going to be fun. And uh, yeah, I got a lot of, a lot, a lot of great images. I can't wait to share with you guys and you've never seen them before. And I mean, I'm going to do a lot on Chris Cornell. Um, but, but that, that took me a minute. I mean, I have to, I have to launch that without crying, <laughs> but I'm getting there. And so, uh, those are going to be beautiful. You're going to love those. Will that be a, that's a dedicated Chris mm -hmm. piece? Yeah. Yeah. When do you think you might see that out? Well, I'm, I'm working on it now. And uh, like I said, it, it just, it just took me a long time to be able to look at the images, but um, he gave me, <laughs> I mean, like now I look back and, you know, I have this picture of him, you know, doing the Jesus Christ pose in, in my window at my studio and, I was doing a whole band shoot and he just gets up in my window, stands in the window and does the Jesus Christ pose. And 
I didn't even know there was a song called Jesus Christ Pose. And I was like, okay, Chris. And I take three frames. I was like, click, click, click. That's it. And then he gets out of the window. And so, I mean, I can't, I mean, I can't wait to show you other things that he gave me that I didn't, that I didn't know until now. I really do appreciate your time this evening, Karen. Looking forward to maybe meeting you sometime, maybe in Seattle, maybe in Portland someday. (laughs) Um, And looking forward to seeing all your future uh, endeavors and the work that you release. I'll be following you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me, dude. I love it. Thanks for doing this and speaking, you know, interviewing artists. I mean, and yeah, we got to meet. Let's get together. (laughs) Sounds great. And thanks for having me. You bet. Past episodes of Times Like Now can be heard wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for original music. I can be reached, Trevor, at timeslikenow.com. And as I'm nearing my one-year anniversary, I would love to hear what you think of the show. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to speaking with you all next time.